All right, here is a quick, 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 quick review of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. Our faith actually calls us to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Our, our faith actually calls us to live out and to walk out our lives and our faith in a way that follows the example that Jesus set for us. You could say it this way, that our faith requires us to do more than like Jesus. Our faith calls us to become like Jesus. Jesus. And so we've been challenging ourselves to live up to the, and to take daily steps to actually live closer and closer and closer and to become more and more and more like Jesus every single day of our lives. So, so far we've looked at three ways that we can become more like Jesus. We've learned how we can love like Jesus, to actually learn how to love in the way that Jesus loved. We've looked at how we can have peace like Jesus, to rise above the storms of life and discover there's peace that we can, that every one of us can have. And we've learned last week about how we can be secure like Jesus, that we don't play the comparison game, but we anchor ourselves to the approval of our Heavenly Father. And now today, we're going to wrap up the series and head towards Easter Sunday, where we're honestly, we're going to talk about how we can become alive like Jesus. Spoiler alert for Easter, we're going to talk about how we can become alive like Jesus. But today, we're going to look at one last example from the life of Jesus, where Jesus set an incredible final example for us that we're all supposed to follow, that we're all called to follow, that Jesus, in fact, said that we're supposed to follow his example here. And it's that we would serve like Jesus. Now, I think it's fitting that we talk about serving like Jesus on a day like today in the church calendar. Today is what was known as Palm Sunday. It commemorates the day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem to unbelievable fanfare. He enters the city to crowds of people celebrating his arrival, waving palm branches, laying down mats, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is greeted as a king coming off of a major victory. He essentially begins the week as a rock star of rock stars. To put it in our terms, he is Justin Timberlake in an NSYNC world. He is he is Harry Styles in a One Direction world. And if you want any more examples, that's where I run out. He is the star of the stars. And as the week unfolds, he teaches and he heals as always. And the crowds continue to love him while the religious leaders decide that they have had enough and they need to put an end to the Jesus story. So they conspire with one of his disciples, Judas, for Judas to hand Jesus over to them. And, and as Jesus, we're, as, and Jesus, we're told he knew the hearts of all men. So Jesus knew what he had come to Jerusalem at this time to do. And Jesus knew what was going on and what would eventually happen to him. He knew the cross was ahead of him. And before he would go to the cross, Jesus wanted to set one final example for his followers and for us so that we could follow him to the very end. And in John chapter 13, we're told this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority, him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So Jesus understood two things. Jesus understood two incredibly important things. Number one is that his time was coming to an end as planned and as purposed by God, that his time on the earth, his earthly ministry was coming to an end. And number two, he knew that he had all authority in the world and certainly all authority in that room. 
And so here's a great question. Here's the question that I think is really important. With the way this sets up, with John letting us know that Jesus knew these two things, it's a really important question for us to ask. What would Jesus do with with these realizations? What would Jesus do with the realization that his time is coming to an end, that the time that he has left is very short, it's very limited? And what does Jesus do when he knows that he has all the authority? What does Jesus do when he understands that he is the most powerful most influential, most important person in the room. Occasionally in life, you might find yourself in a, in a situation like that, where you actually are the most powerful person in the room, where you actually do have the most influence of anyone in the room, where you may be the most important person in the room. And so the question that we want to ask today is simply this, if you ever have those moments, what do you do if you realize that you that your time is limited, that you have such a short time and, and you want to make a difference with it? What do you do when you realize that you have influence and that you have power and that you have authority? How do you use it well? And Jesus gave an incredible example of this. It says this in verse four. So he got up from the table. Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Now, I just want to say this. I've been doing a lot of visual preaching over the last couple of weeks, you know, as we talked about Jesus, you know, Jesus rising above the storms of life and we use the ladder, as we talked about anchoring ourselves to the to the approval of our Father and we use the, you know, the big rocks and the little rocks. Um, we talked about it as a staff and we, we 1 million percent agree this is where we draw the line. There is no towel coming off. There is no robe coming off. Devin's not going to come out and I'm going to wash his feet. We're just not doing that. If you want the real awkward cringe stuff, you got to come live and in person, okay? We're not putting this on the internet. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that in person either. But here's the, here's, the, here's the great thing about this. This is the answer to the question, what would Jesus do with his authority and his power and his influence? How would Jesus use all of that knowing that his time was so short? He served. How, 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 how would Jesus respond knowing that he was the most powerful person in the world? Would he, de- would he desire and, and demand that people serve him and people worship him and people recognize his power and his authority? No, Jesus would remove all the symbols of his power, all the symbols of his authority, all the symbols of his influence, and he would choose to serve. That when Jesus realized that he was the most important, most powerful, most influential person in the room with all the authority, not just in that room, but in the world, Jesus chose to leverage all of that and remove all of that to serve his disciples. He moved from the table to the ground. He moved from the head of the table to the places where his disciples were. He went from the celebrated rock star, the victorious king, to adopting the posture and the humiliating job of a foot-washing servant. That's what Jesus did when he knew that his time was limited. That's what Jesus decided to do when he knew that he had just a few moments left with his disciples. He served them. He set an example of service. That's what Jesus did when he realized that he was the most powerful, influential, authoritative person, not just in the room, but in the world. He chose to remove all of the symbols of his authority, all the symbols of his power, all the symbols of his importance. And he leveraged that to lower himself to serve. Jesus set an example of service. And here's, the, and here's the, where the story goes from here. This gets really interesting. It says, says this in verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday, someday you will. 
No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Peter wanted to make sure he got a never, ever in there. You'll never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. See, this little section starts off, and it seems like such a big deal to Peter. Peter saying, Jesus, this is below you. What you're doing is below you. I'm here to serve you. You aren't supposed to serve me. This is degrading. This is humiliating for you. You shouldn't be doing this. You're the authority. You're in power. You're the person with, that, with the authority. I'm supposed to serve you. Others are supposed to serve, serve you. You're not supposed to serve us, so get up and stop washing feet. And Jesus corrects Peter and tells him that there is something that he doesn't understand, but someday he will. But there is something bigger and more powerful in this paragraph. There's something bigger and more powerful in this paragraph, and it's tucked away, and we can wash over it, and we can, I mean, to use a little plan words, we can wash over it, and we can gloss over it, and we can miss the power of this. But there's something really, really, really big that just got announced in this paragraph. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Maybe just let that sink in for a second. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Knowing that his time was short, knowing that Judas would betray him, knowing his time was short because Judas would betray him, knowing that Judas was betraying him because Jesus wasn't the Messiah that Judas had expected and hoped for all along. Knowing that Judas had decided to betray Jesus for a bag of silver, knowing that after three years spent together, Jesus hadn't gotten through to Judas about what, time, what he was ultimately all about. With all of that hanging in the air between them, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus served Judas. And I think that should just serve as a big wake-up call and a big reminder for us about who and what we're called to do when we serve and how we can actually become more like Jesus. And the reminder is simply this, that you are most like Jesus when you serve those who would never serve you. You are most like Jesus when you serve those who would never serve you. See, a few weeks ago when we talked about loving like Jesus, I said that Jesus' love was for everyone. It was for the people who were difficult to love and the people who were easy to love. It was for the people where grace came very easily and for the people that grace came very difficult. There were no boundary lines to Jesus' love. And the same thing is true for Jesus' service, that to, to serve like Jesus will require that we cross our lines that sometimes we've drawn and sometimes that others have drawn that would make it difficult for us to serve them. See, service ultimately is love in action. When you think about it, service is love in action. It really is. Service is finding a need and meeting it because we love enough to find a need and meet it. And we all know that it's easy to do for some and difficult to do when it comes to to others. Some people are easier to serve than others. The people that naturally gravitate towards, it's easy to serve them. The people that are on the same mission field that we're on, the people that are that are that line up from a purpose standpoint with us, the people that line up polit maybe politically, like it's easy to serve some people. It's easy to serve some people when the relationship is good, but we all know that there are some people where it is much more difficult to serve. It comes easier with some because for some, the relationship is easy and it becomes difficult with others because the relationship 
is more difficult. Maybe they are maybe more difficult. Maybe the two of you have never seen eye to eye. Maybe it's someone that you used to be married to. Maybe it's an, an ex, an ex relationship, an ex spouse. Maybe it's someone that you used to be married to, and now you're still tr- trying to figure out how to parent together and how to parent while you're not, no longer married. And it's difficult and it's awkward. And the relationship is not what it once was. And the relationship is not good. And you're trying to figure out how could I possibly serve that person? Maybe it's the parent that ran out on your family growing up. See, at the end of the day, we all know there are relationships and there are people in our lives, in every single one of our lives, where it's difficult to love and it's difficult to serve. It's difficult to put any kind of love in action through service because the relationship is difficult. They're a difficult person for you. They're a difficult person for you to serve. And all I want to remind us of as we look at this passage is that Jesus loved that person. Jesus served that person. And I'm just telling you, you will never have an opportunity or a greater opportunity to experience serving like Jesus than when you serve that person or those people where the relationship is difficult, where they're difficult, where everything's awkward, where there's tension, where there's political differences, where there's differences of opinion, where you don't see eye to eye, where there is hurt in the past. You will never have an opportunity, and I will never have an opportunity to serve like Jesus and to experience what it actually means to become more like Jesus than when we actually take a step to serve someone that is difficult for us to serve and would never serve us in return. This is a hard one to embrace. Like this, this is a hard one to embrace. So I understand if no one does this, it's a hard one to embrace. But if we want to take to a step, a step to actually become more like Jesus, every one of us can take a step toward that goal by serving the ones that we don't naturally want to and the ones that we know would never serve in return. Story goes on to say this. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher. And Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. Matter of fact, if you're watching right now, maybe you want to type that in the, in the chat bar. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, there is no blessing for our intentions. People do not experience us because of our intentions. People only experience what we actually do. And Jesus says, now that I want you, I want you to do these things, I want you to do these things. And God will bless you not for wanting to do them, not for intending to do them, but God will bless you for actually doing these things. Things. Here's the unmistakable message in the example of Jesus. If service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. That in Jesus's kingdom, following Jesus's example, there is nothing that is beneath you and there is nothing that is beneath me. Serving is in any sort of way is not beneath us. Serving is what we are called to. That in Jesus' kingdom, following Jesus' example, there's nothing that is beneath you. That serving is ultimately an opportunity for impact and influence. That there are no low callings. There is only the call to serve. There are no low callings, just people who refuse to get low and serve. But when we refuse to get low and serve, we actually miss out on the whole deal and and completely lose out on the potential to make 
an impact. Let me let me give you a little bit of an analogy. I don't know how many of you watching, you know, played sports growing up. I don't know how many of you played football specifically growing up. There's a lot of sports where what I'm going to talk about applies, but but football was the context that I learned this in. And, and, and I I played I played offensive line for uh, for five years. I started playing playing football in eighth grade. Um, I went out. I was our starting left tackle in eighth grade. You know, making the big the, the big money. I went out and I played left tackle. I was a starting left tackle on the eighth grade football team. Went to high school. I told my coach for our freshman team that I, that I had been the left tackle on uh, in eighth grade. He said, no, you've got a body more like a center. You're going to be our center. I said, thank you. I, I'm, I'm not sure how to really take that news. Thank you for thinking so much about my body. Anyway, so, so, I, so I, was, I was the starting center on our freshman team, starting center on JV team. As a sophomore, I started as, as the center for two years on varsity as a junior and a senior. And I don't mean to brag about this, but during my senior year, I got like three or four different letters from division four and Div- Div- division five colleges suggesting that they had a football program. And if I wanted to, I could consider walking on and trying out. I don't mean to brag, but I was a pretty big deal. Anyway, so so uh, all that really proved is they did not have a scouting department. But there are two things that any offensive and defensive lineman knows. Anyone who's played offense or defensive line has had this drilled into them by coaches. Everyone who's played the game has heard this from their coaches. The game is won or lost in the trenches. That's the first thing. The game is won or lost in the trenches. It's just plain true. Like we, If you watched the Super Bowl this last year, we all witnessed that, that if you have the most Talented quarterback that's ever played the, you know played the game, best arm, most athletic ability that's ever played the game, and the offensive line can't keep the defensive line away from him. It doesn't matter how talented the QB is. The team that wins the line of scrimmage wins the game 99 out of 100 times. It's just plain true. The game is won or lost in the trenches. And because the game is won or lost in the trenches, our coaches drilled this thought into our brain to make sure that we would never lose it, never forget it. And I'm sitting here 37 as a 37-year-old, 18 years removed from playing high school and 19 years removed from playing high school football. And I still remember this phrase being drilled into my mind every single August. And it was the phrase, low man wins. Low man wins. The low man wins. That the battles on the line of scrimmage, they are not won up high. They aren't won with upper body strength. Upper body strength is important. It's important to have strong shoulders, strong chest muscles, biceps, triceps. Important to have all of that. But at the end of the day, the battles on the line of scrimmage, they are not won up high. They are won by establishing leverage. And the person who gets the most leverage is the person who understands that they got to get low. The low man wins. And so you're taught to bend your bend, bend your knees. You're taught to sink your hips. You know that you get curls, you, you do curls for the girls, but you do squats to make the blocks. That's the whole thing. Like that, that the person who is willing to establish leverage and go low is the person who will get leverage and can sustain the block and can get around the block and can do the things that help them control the line of scrimmage. And, and, and the line of scrimmage is the game. That the war is won or lost in the trenches. The game is won or lost in the trenches. And the game is won by those who go low. That low man wins. And the same is true in following Jesus. It is not a race to the top. It is actually a race to the bottom. See, the game is not won on a stage or a platform. The game is won by the one willing to get low, the one who is willing to serve, to serve in obscure ways that no one notices, to serve in ways that force you into the background, to serve a coworker on a Tuesday with the same energy and effort that you would on a Sunday morning, to bring the same energy to a tutoring program that you would to a stage, to bring the same heart to a food bank that you would to a microphone. The game is won or lost in the trenches and the low man wins. And I'm just telling you, every single one of us, the second that we adopt this mindset, we become more like 
Jesus. See, the rest of the world wants to tell you that you need to go high, that you need to elevate yourself to make a difference, that you need a platform or an audience before you can make an impact. Jesus set a far different example. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, you got to go low. If you want to be more like Jesus, it's not about raising yourself up. It's about humbling yourself be willing to get low. Billy Graham said this, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. It is not a race to the top. It's a race to the bottom. It is not a race to elevate yourself. It's a race to get low. So that's John's take on what Jesus did. That's, that's John's take on what Jesus did. That's the example that he said in his final moments. That's the last impression that he wanted his followers uh, to see of him, that he was that of a servant. That impression lasted, and it became a central idea in the church. It was told eventually to a man named Saul, who would later change his name to Paul, when he had an experience where he went from being someone who persecuted the early church to someone who dedicated his life to spreading the news about Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And he would go, he traveled the world starting churches and preaching the gospel and starting churches. And then he would, as, as he would travel and as he would eventually end up in prison because of it, he would write letters back to these churches to strengthen their faith and strengthen their understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And in one of these letters to the church in Philippi, he wrote this about Jesus's example, that it wasn't just a one-time thing on that night, but this, this was an entire mindset and a lifestyle that Jesus Adopted. He says this in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not, equi- did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, Jesus didn't think the God powers wrapped in humanity was something to be used for his benefit. Be honest with yourself. Like if you could walk on water, you would be selling tickets to the show. If if you had food multiplication powers, you would go buy one meal from Chick-fil-A and you'd fill up your freezer and your family would never hunger again. Jesus had unprecedented power and authority and never once did Jesus use it to benefit Jesus. Instead, here's what we're told he did. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. Some translations use the word slave instead of servant. The implication is is simply that his entire purpose, the reason for his existence was to serve. He lived, he breathed, he existed, he walked on water, he broke bread, he multiplied fish, he healed the hurting, he opened the eyes of the blind and taught us what God is really like and everything he did, he did it in service of me and in service of you. Every act, every act was for the benefit of humanity, was for our benefit nothing for his benefit. And that's our example to follow. And that's our example to follow. And here's, and here's how Paul wraps up this, this portion of, of scripture. He says this, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for me. He came to serve. The thought that God came in human form to serve us is amazing, but... 
Jesus came to serve knowing the end game would cost him more than sweat, more than time, more than soreness. It would be all of that, plus his blood shed for us, plus his last breath, plus holes in his hands and feet, plus thorns in his head. Coming to earth to serve cost Jesus everything so that we could gain everything. He left heaven so that we could gain heaven. He, he became no one so that we could see him as the only one who could save and restore us. He left the Father so that we could become close to the Father. That's the gospel message right there, that Jesus loved, so Jesus served. And in his service, he lived sinlessly, died taking the penalty and the punishment that you and I deserve, and he rose from the dead so that you and I could be connected and reconnected and have a chance at a relationship with our heavenly Father. You could say this, that Jesus' sacrificial service makes possible your connection with God. And some of you today would be an incredible day for you to make a decision to accept what Jesus did for you. That instead of fighting it like Peter did on the night of Jesus' betrayal, instead of saying, no, no, I can't ever receive that. You shouldn't be doing that. Like, it's too humiliating. That we would accept what Jesus did when he served us. That he would accept what he did when he served us. That he brought us salvation. He brought us renewal. And he brought us hope. And he brought us into a relationship with God that's only available through him. So you want to become more like Jesus? You want to become more like Jesus? It starts with learning to serve like Jesus. And I think in what we just read, there are three things that maybe just maybe we should pay attention to and we can take some steps to eat, starting today to live out. The first one is simply this, that those closest to you should experience the best of you. Those closest to you should experience the best of your service. Make no mistake, Jesus served the crowds of strangers, but the disciples got the best of Jesus. Jesus served the crowds, but he washed the feet of those closest to him. I think for a lot of us, it is an easier concept to think of serving the crowd than it is to serve those closest to you. We assume that because of the relationship, because of proximity, that life just happens and there's responsibilities and there's stuff that needs to be done and there's chores and this is my duty and these are my chores and this is their job and this is their responsibility and this is the thing that they're supposed to do, that we're just doing what we're supposed to do and life is just going to kind of happen and so on and so on and so on and so, so it goes. But here's the thing. What if, what if the people who were closest to you thought the best about you because they got the best of you? What if they got the best of your energy, the best of your service, the best of your time, the best of your attention, the best of your efforts? What if the people closest to you thought the best about you because they consistently got the best of you? Did you know, did you know, did you know that you can serve your roommates? Did you know you can serve your roommates? Did you know, husbands and wives, did you know that you can serve your spouse? Like we, we've got chores and duties and responsibilities, like serve. Parents, did you know that you can serve your children? Did, like, did you know that it's not just responsibilities and, and raising them, but it's also serving them? See, Charles Stanley said this amazing thing. He said, in giving us children, God places us in a position of both leadership and service. He calls us to give up our lives for someone else's sake, to abandon our own desires and put our child's interests first. Yet according to his perfect design, it is through this selflessness that we become truly fulfilled. So I just want to say, what if in the midst of responsibility and obligation, what if you decided that every single day or every single week, you can make one decision to rise above duty and obligation and responsibility to move towards 
service, to giving of your best to serve the best interests of someone else in a way that has nothing to do with your responsibilities, nothing to do with obligation, nothing to do with chores and responsibilities, but has everything to do with letting God show you how you can serve best the people who are closest to you. Here's the second thing. We serve, we serve God by serving others, which points people to God. Now, again, this sounds like something that we all kind of intuitively know, but this is what Jesus demonstrated for us. During Jesus's ministry, he made a firm point repeatedly that to serve others was the same as serving him. Jesus made sure to say this over and over, and I've said this repeatedly recently, our devotion to Jesus is best shown by how we treat those around us. Our devotion to Jesus is best shown by how we treat those around us. Jesus said that over and over and over again, that our willingness to serve Jesus, who we can't see, is best displayed by our willingness to serve those that we can see. See, John Wesley said this, one of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. Here's where this gets so cool. Here's where this gets so cool. We, we serve God by serving those who we can see in front of us. But what gets really cool is when you serve others that you can see in order to serve the one that you can't see, the same way that we would serve Jesus, people see Jesus in you and are drawn to his love and his grace and his power for them. It is not a vicious cycle. This is what we would call a virtuous cycle. This is something that God wants to do in every single one of us, and God wants to do something through every one of us, that, that we serve others, that we serve God by serving others, which points people ultimately back to God. This is a virtuous cycle. It might just make the world a better place. Got to be careful with it. Got to be careful. If you do it too much, it might just make the world a better place. We serve God by serving others, which ultimately points people to God. Here's the third thing. Here's the final thing about this. You're never done. You're just looking for what's next. You're never done. When it comes to serving, you're never done. You're looking for what's next. When, when you look at the example of Jesus, this is what Jesus did constantly. This is why Jesus, while he was in an emotional state and needing time with his heavenly father, when people came needing teaching and when people came needed he, needing healing, Jesus did not say, guys, I just need a moment. He healed them. He performed miraculous wonders for them. He showed them who God was. He taught them what God was. That Jesus was never done with service and neither are any of us. Jesus was never done with serving. Serving like Jesus, it means we're looking for opportunities to serve someone in Jesus's name, and it is not a one-time deal to check a box. It is not a yearly deal to check a box and be done with. It is not a weekly deal to check a box and be done with. It's not even a daily deal to check a box and be done with. We are never done with it. That every single day, every single moment, we can be looking for the next opportunity to serve someone in Jesus' name. Again, to quote Charles Stanley one more time, at 91 years old recently, he didn't retire from his church. Uh, I, I say that because in his retirement announcement, he made very sure to let everyone know that he wasn't retiring. Here's what he said. He said, I'm not retiring from ministry. I won't be in the office anymore, and I won't be in the pulpit preaching, but I'm not retiring a person never retires from loving and serving others. I mean, that's, that's the example. That's the mindset that we should, we should all have, right? That we are never done. We're just looking for the next opportunity to serve someone in Jesus' 
name. We're looking for the next opportunity to serve God by serving those that we can see right in front of us. We're looking for the next opportunity to serve God by serving someone else so that they can be connected to God themselves. And I'm just telling you, like, look, this is one of those things that if we get it right, this can change a city. This can change a neighborhood. This can change a school. This can change a workplace. This can change the world. When you look at what Jesus' earliest followers did, this did change the world. This has changed the world before. This took the Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire, who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, who wanted nothing to do with love, who wanted nothing to do with peace, who wanted nothing to do with anything that Jesus stood for. When people loved and served like Jesus, it brought the Roman Empire to its knees, and it brought the Roman Empire ultimately to Jesus. It's happened before. This kind of service, this kind of love, it can change the world. It's happened before, and I believe that God can do it again in our city, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, that wherever we go, we can carry the love of Jesus. We can actually serve like Jesus, and it might just change the world. I'm in. I hope you're in too. Let's become more like Jesus. Let's serve like Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the example that he set for us. Thank you that we can actually become more like Jesus. Thank you that Jesus invited us to not just like him, to not just know about him, but to actually serve like him, to actually become like him, to actually walk in his footsteps and to follow his example. Thank you that every single one of us, we have an invitation to do that. And God, for all of us, I pray that you'd give us incredible wisdom to know where this lands for us. God, help us to know that we can actually serve the people that are difficult for us to serve. Help us to know that and have a sense of awareness right now of what it might actually look like for us to serve the people that are really difficult difficult for us to serve. God, have us, help us to have wisdom to know how we should serve those who are closest to us. Help us to have, have, have an awareness looking for the next opportunity to serve someone in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that you would give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity this week, even today, to serve like you served, to give love like you gave love, to put our love into action as we serve like you served. Help us to do that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.